Well, good morning, everyone. Do you have your PVR set to record at 11 o'clock this morning is the big question. Please don't tell me anything if there's any scores. We were going to have the uh, updates on the screen, but we thought that might be a bit distracting. But we have asked the ushers to go up and down the aisle, so if you are checking for updates, they will address you and bring you up to the tank and immerse you just for a moment. Um, but do you think we can win this one today? Oh, yeah. We got this one. We got this one for sure. This, is, this one's ours. We have to. <laughs> we have to. We have to score sometime in history. <laughs> yeah. This could be our day. Uh, anyway, hope you'll come join us tonight. Lift night, one hour, praise, worship, child care for kids 10 and under. Again, it starts at 6 p.m. right here. We'd love to have you come. Great way to start the Advent season. And as well, there's an Advent reading plan that we're doing together as a church family. And so if you have your phone out, I think there's a QR code in there. Um, if there isn't, then you can go to uh, the most recent e-news that was sent out last night. And uh, there it is, the QR code's on the side. We'll leave it up there for a few moments. If you'd like to join us for a 28-day reading plan through the Bible app, it's a wonderful way to stay connected, to immerse yourself in God's Word. Our friends from the Bible Project always do a great job of helping tee up some fantastic, insightful devotions. And so uh, I've joined, our pastoral team have. I hope you'll you'll come and be a part of that as well. And then uh, last Sunday... We were able to deliver 167 shoeboxes to a depot in Whitby, and um, then they were sent on to Calgary and then to faraway places to meet needs of the under-resourced in our world. So thank you for being generous and compassionate and putting uh, the under-resourced in your Christmas budget. And again, Christmas at King is still ongoing, and you can head over to our website to learn more about how you can contribute to that, and uh, together we can do way more than if we run in all sorts of different directions. Uh, as individuals or as individual families. So today we're starting a new series. Um, It's called A Stranger Christmas. And we're going to take a little bit of a different approach to the the Advent series. Um, We're going to take a look at the unseen dimension behind the seen world that unfolds um, during the four weeks or the four movements of Advent. And so today we're going to talk about angelic messengers. And uh, really what we will do is a little deeper dive today. So if you're new to the Bible, all the passages will be on the screen, but we're going to move pretty quickly through a bunch of different passages. And we'll start by taking a look at the uh, Christmas uh, or the incarnation narrative and how the the angel or the angelic messengers came. And uh, there will be a a boatload of take-homes for us along the way, but we will will pause and then uh, look at both Testaments, older and new. Uh, about how the angels were servants, messengers of God, and uh, how we can, um, again, broaden our worldview to include the unseen dimension around the mysterious messengers of God, the angels. And uh, so I hope today it'll be a healthy addition to your Christian worldview, and then we're going to celebrate nine people who are being baptized today, which is really, really exciting. It'll be the highlight of our morning together. So if you're able, would you stand with me, and we're going to read our passage to ponder, which is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 1, the first five verses, and then verse 14. And as we do around here on a weekly basis, please read loud enough for your neighbor to hear, okay? Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, so let's take a look at the Christmas narrative, and uh, we're going to be on the lookout for a theme here around the angelic messengers that God sends. And so um, we'll start with Joseph, who happens to have three dreams. And so what that teaches us is, because the text will, will point us in this direction, is Joseph had an encounter with an angel three different times during his night theater experience. When we go to sleep at night, dreams are dreams. Largely, that's the case, even though there can be a lot more going on than just a dream. There can be a host of messages that come to us, some of them just because our uh, unconscious, subconscious is trying to get our attention about things that have not been processed throughout the day. At other times, the Holy Spirit, and again, if you're a Jesus-following person, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God. He is the sanctifying spirit who wants to get our attention about some of the unfinished business of our previous day or perhaps previous week, month, year, or years. And at other times, the spirit will work. And in this situation, Joseph had three very clear encounters with an angel. So don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at dream number one. This was an angelic messenger affirming that what was happening with Mary was God-sanctioned. The conception was from God. So in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, background, Joseph is looking to quietly divorce his wife, and God sends an angel to Joseph while he sleeps and says, hold up, hold up. What's going on here is God-sanctioned, God-approved. So we, we pick it up in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1. After he had considered this, which was to quietly divorce Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. We can underline that. We'll come back to it in a moment. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And so his name is consistent with his function. He would be the savior of the world. And Joseph encounters an angel in his dream that invites Joseph to move away from what would be a poor decision. And so, um, again, what we're doing is adding biblical wisdom to our Christian worldview to understand the role and function of angels. In this case, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and warned him about making a foolish decision. Second dream, an angel comes and warns Joseph to leave where he is and to go to Egypt. And so we pick up the story, the next chapter over, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. I said we're going to move through the Bible pretty quickly today, so track with me as we move along here. Chapter 2, verse 13 of Matthew's Gospel. When they, which were the Magi, and we'll pick up this story a little later during our Advent season, but the ones who followed the stars, the heavenly bodies that guided them to Jesus... Um, the heavenly bodies spoke about the coming Messiah, the coming Lord Jesus Christ, when they, the Magi, had gone. By the way, we can pause there for, for a moment too. The Magi were probably very likely, perhaps in a whole other world religion system. 
And God was speaking their language to move them to understand that Jesus the Messiah had come. You've probably heard stories before where Muslims have talked about how Jesus has come to them in dreams. Have you heard those stories? God has not abandoned those who belong to other religious systems, but he is inviting them through the revelation of his son to find the truth in the one true God. And here we have probably a picture of that happening with the Magi. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a second dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so the angel comes to Joseph a second time and warns him about pending danger. And he gives him direction on what to do in order to guide safely the Christ child to, uh, to Egypt. And then there's a third dream. Joseph is a dreamer. And the Spirit of God sends the angel to speak with him. He tells Joseph that now it's okay to return home. And so Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, a little bit later, verse 19, after Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And so an angel comes to Joseph on three occasions to save him from making a poor decision, to save him and the child from harm, and then to bring him back again. This guiding messenger directs the traffic, so to speak, of Joseph's life. Now, I don't think that happens every day or every week, or perhaps in our lifetime for us. These are very special, important movements that are happening, um, but it is teaching us something that angels, at least in Joseph's life, did come to him and provide guidance through dreams. We'll go to Mary. Mary has an interaction uh, with the angel Gabriel who announces the holy conception. And we read about that earlier this morning. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, we'll pick it up one more time here. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, uh, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. We've heard that before, haven't we? Joseph hears, do not be afraid. Mary hears, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Isn't that what we would love to hear at the end of our days, that we have found favor with God? The truth is that in Christ, every single one of us have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When we see the movements of the Advent story, we understand that there is an unseen dimension. We have angels show up, Joseph's dream. The angel Gabriel shows up, not in a dream, but in real time with Mary, gives an incredible announcement to her, and then prophetically announces that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary. This is going to be a unique conception, and, and this is a massive part of the movement of the Advent story. So the angel comes to Mary and says, don't be afraid. And uh, this isn't the end of the do not be afraid message because the shepherds, they were included in the, good, in the good news announcement as well. And in Luke's gospel, chapter two, verse nine, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is a group of them. They could corroborate the story. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Do you think you'd be terrified? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Three times we hear the same message. Do not be afraid. Joseph, Mary, and now the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So there's the movement of the angelic messengers that come to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds. They come with an announcement, do not be afraid. By the way, there's something tremendous happening. Joseph, don't make a poor decision. What's happened here is so important. We need to protect you and get you to Egypt. By the way, danger's past. Come on back home. Mary is reassured that what's about to happen is God-sanctioned. It's beautiful. The child conceived in her is no ordinary child. And angels are delivering these messages. Do you believe in angels? I believe in angels too. And I've shared on occasion that I think I've had interactions with them. uh, At least on one occasion in my life. And it was a bizarro moment. And it was a beautiful bizarro moment for me. Did I tell you the story? I I know I did, but I, I don't know if you were here at the time. Can I tell you really quickly? Yeah, now you're really curious, right? Forget about Croatia and Canada. This guy's seen an angel. Like, what's going on? Uh, I was in Waterloo almost 30 years ago serving as a youth discipleship pastor and I was brand new to the community. I had no idea where I was. There were two youth pastors, a quite, quite a large youth group at the time, and we took these kids to a part of Kitchener to play a, an event in a conservation area. And so anyway, I loaded up kids, the bus was there and everything went down. I drove my car, I locked my keys in the car. Got the kids on the bus. I didn't even know I'd locked the keys in the car yet. I got all the kids on the bus, got everybody going everywhere. All right, we'll see you later. Bye, guys. Meet you back at the church. Go back to my car. Keys. Where's my keys? Oh, they're in the ignition. Ever done that before? Not a nice feeling. But when you don't know where you are, and this is the day before cell phones, what do you do, right? Walk 16 miles to a pay phone? I don't know, but I'm stuck. And all I can do is go, oh, man, what am I going to do? I don't even know where I am. I looked over in this conservation area, up a hill, a wooded area, tree thing, this man comes walking down the hill in a white sweater down to his knees with a satchel over, I still remember, with a satchel over, and he had a bit of a longer, longer hairdo. And he walked right over to me, acknowledged me, turned his back to me, did something at the door, I don't even know what he did in about three seconds, and the door was open for me and left. I don't know what that's about. I don't know what that's about. But if you track with me during this teaching, it may have been an angel. Do you think it may have been? It may have been. Uh, Anyway, what role do angels play in God's world? Well, number one, to serve God's people, to serve the people of God. And here's why that may be the case, what I just mentioned. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Maybe when we're in trouble, God sends his servants to come and help us in some way. The writer of Hebrews tells us clearly that that's what angels do. They come to serve the people of God, those who are going to inherit salvation. Let me take you to a New Testament story, powerful, powerful story. Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. Uh, The night before Herod was to bring him, who's him? It's Peter. To trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. 
and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, he says, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him so. Peter follows him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He kind of thinks he's in a dream or having a vision or something like that. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. Ready? Kind of like a sci-fi movie. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. Do you believe that stuff can happen? This is the book of Acts. When they had walked the length of one street, the text is a little bit cryptic, but it says here suddenly the angel left him. Like just disappeared or went down a side street? I don't know, went up a hill into a wooded area? Just left him. Now, it's really important that we understand this. We will not do well at understanding this passage until we look at verse 5. So this is just before, obviously, before verse 6. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And then the angel comes. This is an important piece for us. They were not praying to angels. They were praying to God. And God sent the angel. we got to keep that in its rightful place. They were praying to God, and God sent the angel. And in fact, let me take you one more place here. And I, I, I know that it's not a definitive teaching, but it's kind of hinted at. So let me... Um, introduce a hint of scripture to us as it relates to perhaps guardian angels. In verse 14, the very same chapter, Peter, this is amazing about Christian people because I know it happens to me all the time. We pray for things and then when they happen, we go, I can't believe it happened. <laughs> Ever had that happen in your life? It's like we call on God for things that only God can do and then God does it and we say, I can't believe it. We have faith to believe, but sometimes when God does it, we go, man, I can't believe this. Verse 14, Peter comes to the door where the church was gathering to pray for him. And Rhoda, the servant girl, when she recognized Peter's voice at the door, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it. And she exclaimed, Peter's at the door. They're praying for Peter. Peter comes to the door. The servant girl opens it up and says, it's Peter. And she closes the door on him again. And this is what the early Christians say. You're out of your mind. They were just asking God to do this. He shows up at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Now, maybe the early Christians were just peddling some sort of folklore. Maybe. Maybe they had some mythology around guardian angels. Or maybe, as the narrative unpacks for us, it wouldn't be outside of God's economy of doing things that he has not perhaps assigned those to keep watch over us. Is that not perhaps true? It could be. Uh, are we going to build a doctrine on this to say we all have a guardian angel? I'm not prepared to go that far, but the text seems to hint at it, that maybe there are um, guardians assigned to us to keep watch over us for God's purposes. Why he would do that, I don't know, but God does keep watch over his people, doesn't he? It's consistent with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 as well. All right, so I'm introducing kind of like a Christian worldview with angels and the unseen dimension. So that's point one. I've got four more for you before we baptize, okay? Here we go. Number two, 
to engage, here's the purpose of angels, to engage spiritual conflict on our behalf. This is a New Testament idea, and it is clearly taught in the Older Testament. Here's the New Testament passage, which we'll go from the, the front end to the back end. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verse 12, our struggle, if you've ever had a struggle, Paul says it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is another realm of reality whereby, according to Paul, there is a spiritual battle or a spiritual conflict happening. Our conflict is not in the material world with material beings only. It can be dramatically influenced by the unseen dimension of reality. Let me introduce you to Daniel, uh, one of the, the prophets in the Older Testament, chapter 10. Um, do not be afraid. This is an angel who comes to speak with Daniel. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. An angel comes in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So track with me for a moment. There's this dynamic at play that we are not able to see with our five senses. But the angel tells Daniel that since the first day that Daniel had been calling on God, there was a message or a messenger dispatch, but he was delayed for 21 days because of some sort of entanglement in another dimension of reality. Michael, who is described as the, um, uh, the chief prince, comes. So there's almost like a hierarchy in the angelic realm. How does that, why does that really matter to us? It doesn't really. It just seems to be, again, hinted at in Scripture. Michael came and helped this angel who was detained because of the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So all that that teaches us is sometimes when we're praying and there may be a delay in a response, it may be that there are dynamics at play that we're not privy to that are going on in an unseen dimension of reality. This is consistent with the biblical record. It's not my idea. This is Scripture a revelation to us about the unseen dimension of reality. One more from the Older Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. Israel is tangling with the king of Aram. They are vastly outnumbered. And Elisha is talking to his servant, and the servant is afraid. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. They're vastly outnumbered in the material realm. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I wonder if we could see in the spirit dimension today what would be in this room right now. I wonder what would be going on around you in life, in your workplace, in your home. Sometimes because we're trapped in these bodies of ours, all we see is the here and now. And all we measure is what's measurable by the five senses. But if we're going to be Jesus-following people with a biblical Christian worldview, we will understand that there is way more going on. All right, three more for us. Number three, the angelic community. They are to worship God, not to be worshipped. They are to worship God, not to be worshipped. Um, we gain a picture in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, 
where the writer is given a picture or vision or an experience where he sees um, uh, the, the heavenly dimension where God rules and reigns and worship is being offered to him. And he writes in chapter 5, just two verses, verses 11 and 12. Then I looked, the writer says, and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. There's a lot of them. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb. This is their song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. What did the angelic community do? They worship the one true God. And we will join them one day on the other side in the uninterrupted presence of God. And everything about us, the totality of our person, will be about worshiping God in fullness. But here's the temptation. Angels are so otherworldly, and they are so uh, probably unbelievably majestic that when the writer of the book of Revelation has an encounter with one, look what happens. Chapter 22, verse 9, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But the angel says to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Two words, worship God. Worship God. We don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels according to the text. We worship the one true God. We call on his name. But angels are servants to serve the people who will inherit salvation. All right, number four. Angels are sent to comfort us in life and to bring us home at death. Probably what will happen when you and I breathe our last, angels will come for us. This is according to Jesus, by the way, not according to me. But Jesus is tempted in Matthew chapter 4. He's had 40 days of testing in the wilderness. And the devil left him in verse 11. And angels came and attended him. I don't know what that was all about, but they came to strengthen him. And they came to refresh him. They attended to what he needed. Angels came to comfort in life and to bring us home at death. Jesus is telling a story in Luke's gospel, chapter 16, verse 22. And in this passage, it takes a different form than some of the other kingdom parables he tells. This one appears to be a historical story, or at least he seems to use that um, structure when he teaches. And so just one verse to draw your attention to. There's the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is impoverished. The rich man walks by him every day, lives in great luxury. There's way more going on in this passage that we can't entirely unpack right now. But Jesus says in verse 22, the time came when the beggar, when Lazarus died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. Jesus himself says, the angels came and they ushered him into God's presence. I have heard story after story after story from loved ones. I have spoken to people who have just been on the threshold of death and some of the things they have told me and some of the wide-eyed experiences they've had as they've neared the exit door have been palpable. What have they seen? What have they experienced? 
While they're on the other side, they can't come back and tell us, but I've spoken to people who were right at the threshold, had experiences, came back, and then died days later. And some of the things they've told me are wild experiences. Probably the last being you'll see before you are ushered into God's presence will perhaps be one of God's angelic messengers who comes for you. And then finally, nice way to finish the Advent Christmas talk. Ready? To carry out the Lord's judgment. Happy Advent season to everyone. <laughs> to carry out the Lord's judgment. All right, ready for some heavy-duty stuff? This is like seatbelt on, boom. There we go, we're buckled up. We want the whole meal deal right around here. The whole meal deal. If I just give you part of it, I'll set you up for disappointment, perhaps even some sort of disillusionment in your faith. So let's, let's, let's look at the whole meal deal. Number five, to carry out the Lord's judgment. Uh, one of the most important stories in Israel's history is the Passover story. And um, 10 times Pharaoh is uh, given an opportunity to uh, relent and let the people of God go, but he refuses, his heart is hardened. And over a number of chapters, Moses and his brother Aaron are involved in demonstrating God's power and inviting Pharaoh to do the next right thing, which he refuses over and over and over again. And so um, in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 12, God has now reached his limit. And he says, I'm about to bring about judgment on Egypt and on Pharaoh's household. So this is what the Lord says, for the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the top of the sides of the doorframe, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. And so these angelic messengers come to serve the people who will inherit salvation, and from time to time they are given missions of judgment on the earth. And it's not just an exodus, but in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 28, talking specifically about this event, says, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover, to sprinkle blood in the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. This was not Older Testament folklore. This is New Testament of, um, validated commentary by the writer of Hebrews. And then here is one of these wild, wild stories. Um, but the writer, Luke himself, in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 23, Herod, who would not give praise to God, who had aligned himself with uh, a different kingdom, who saw himself at the center of the universe and would not acknowledge the supremacy of the one true God, in verse 23 of Acts 12, that very same chapter where the angel delivered Peter, now an angel does something very different to Herod. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Happy Advent to everybody. <laughs> so, sometimes we have teaching that is incredibly pragmatic. It's four ways you can, it's three ways you might, all of these things. Today has been much more of a, let's pull back the curtain a little bit, take a look at the Advent story. Angels were involved in it. This was a, a um, defining moment in human history when there were demonstrations of God's clear speaking voice through angelic messengers. Literally an angel, the word angel means messenger, where they were dispatched to go from God's presence to communicate important messages to humans. And this again is Joseph and Mary and the shepherds, the heavenly bodies above with the magi, a lot's going on. And at the same time, 
as we look at the Older Testament and we look at the New Testament, we cannot deny the ministry of angels and the unseen dimension of life. But the caution for us today is to not make more of them because they are creatures that God has made to serve the people of God, not to be worshipped, not to be called upon through prayer, but to be um, experienced when God sees fit to send them our way. And it may be, according to Scripture, that you have been in the presence of one and haven't even known it. They don't usually walk around with big signs over their forehead that says, part of the angelic host of heaven, here to help you out. But they may appear from time to time, and they may take on a human form, perhaps. And um, so, we make space for them in our Christian worldview, but we also keep them in their rightful place. Amen? All right. So, uh, Jesus is the king over a kingdom, and he's building a family, and he's inviting us to be a part of it. And water baptism is this beautiful picture. For those of you who are new to church, perhaps you're here to cheer on some friends or family. Um, water baptism is a picture of an experience of identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we baptize by immersion, consistent with Romans chapter 6. It is a beautiful picture, again, of a transformed life. Um, this group of people, nine individuals, are going to um, identify with Jesus, go public with their faith, and we are going to celebrate them along with a bunch of kids that are coming in from the fusion room right now. And our kids love to be a part of water baptism. So they're going to come up and get a nice seat up at the front here. They're going to get a nice close view of all that's happening. And one day, perhaps, they may also, if they haven't yet, they may also get baptized when they understand the significance of the moment and they've personally made their decision to follow Jesus as well. Um, this is just tap water from the Durham region. It's not holy, but what's in here is very, what's about to happen in here is very sacred and important. And uh, so it is also a beautiful celebration. Um, Jesus taught us that there are great celebrations of joy in heaven when people um, come home, right? The story in Luke chapter 15, a lost son comes home. There's a great celebration and a party that's being thrown. Um, when we do water baptism together here, we are celebrating God's beautiful work of grace in someone's life. Their stories will be on the screen, little snippets of it. We're going to have a live feed here so we can put their face on the, on the center screen and it will be a wonderful celebration. So you are invited to celebrate. Like every person who comes out of that water, the first thing they should hear because they can't hear under the water when they come up is just like boisterous celebration about how wonderful this moment is for them and for us. The church celebrates baptism. It is one of the highlights of church life. And so um, it's not irreverent to uh, applaud and celebrate, and um, I would invite you to remain seated just because we're going to have cameras and pictures being taken, but if family wants to come up and get a closer view and a closer picture, please, by all means, feel free to do that, and um, we're going to have pastors coming in and out of the tank because uh, different ones have requested different people, and Pastor Gary's privileged to baptize his son today. Daniel is going to be baptized. He's pretty excited about that. We've got four of our friends from Hope House who are going to be baptized today. Roy's going to join me in the tank. And uh, we've got some younger people. Pastor Alicia's going to come in and join me there too. So we're going to be kind of moving in and out of the tank, and we'll just sort of uh, take our time here. You've got your PVR on anyway, right, for the Croatia-Canada game, so there's no rush. Um, 
But we're going to throw some music on, and we're going to get to baptizing in just a moment. But everyone who's going to be baptized, we are so thrilled and proud of you and celebrating you. And this is like awesome stuff. This is awesome stuff. So we are absolutely 100% um, so proud of you. So we're going to have some music on. May this be like a worship-filled environment, and then we'll, we'll celebrate baptisms in just a moment, but we just need to get ourselves organized. So are you ready for a good celebration? All right, let's go.